Hello and welcome back to Life-Giving Habits from Seven Vineyard, where we're looking at things Jesus did and asking if we did them too, can we become more like Jesus? And so can they become life-giving habits for us? Today, Mal Caladine takes a two-part look at worship. His first talk here looks at why we worship and the importance of asking that question why whenever we're looking for our purpose and trying to form life-giving habits instead of just sticking with boring or tiring routines. What is it about worship which is essential for life? And to start off with, what is worship? Worship is literally worthship. That's all it is, giving something worth an acknowledgement of worth or worthiness. I'm aware that I try to do that with my wife and my family by telling them that they're great. And I try to show my acknowledgement of worth to other things by if you go into my wardrobe, you'll see I have a whole stack of clothes that are, there's my Liverpool top, um, uh, retro from the era I most believed in Liverpool before Graham Souness came and ruined everything when Kenny Dalgleish ruled the roost and there's a number seven on the back of my shirt to still give that worth and then there's my England football top and my England rugby top and my other England rugby top and my cycling top and my um, Ryder Cup uh, shirt that I'll wear on a golf course the things that I give worth to the things that I give worth to. So that's what we want to look at is, the, uh, is today, is, is the idea of, the, of, of what we mean by worship and why do we worship and how can we do this in more varied and creative ways that it really becomes something we can sow more and more into our lifestyle. So that's what uh, my hope is we're going to look at variety and creativity, that that's what you come away from this with. That sound good? Good. <laughs> so, so, um, and it's normally you, Andy. <laughs> so, um, so what we're going to do is uh, look. Um, uh, I'm aware that when you look online, a lot of people can deconstruct and uh, critique worship. I'm aware that lots of people are kind of saying, oh, worship, you know, Sunday mornings, community hymn singing, you know, that's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? What's that about? Oh, no, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. And some people are saying, no, worship is a service. Other people are saying, oh, worship is a lifestyle. I've, I've worked with one church um, who... Uh, they decided that in the New Testament, um, they only saw people singing whilst they were in jail. So the deal of the church was, if you get arrested, you can, you can sing worship. But otherwise, you've got to worship in a different form. <laughs> people were deconstructing quite heavily there. I think it was because um, they had four professional bands in their church, and I think what, sung worship had become an idol. And so they almost reacted against it. Yeah? But I think the issue was they lost sight of the why they were doing it. Yeah? They, lost, they stopped owning the why. And I love this. I would thoroughly recommend this TED Talk and book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. When you come back to the why, you, you own again why you do something. And that's what we want to look at today. Um, so we want to do those three things. We want to look a bit at the why. Why do we emphasize worship as a thing? Um, what do we mean by it? Um, what do we mean by it? And how, do we, uh, how can we respond in the, in the breadth of variety and creativity? And I want to give some, some uh, biblical uh, foundations to that, but, some, but also I hope it's going to be a, a launch pad, a diving board for you guys in your small groups and the things that you do in your rest of your time to think, how can I be creative in my own relationship with God and my worship life? Does that make sense? Good. So the first why I'd want to suggest to you is we're part of a church movement that is founded on, on the idea of worship. When people talk about vineyard, those of us who've been around a little while, they remember back to the 80s and vineyard worship was the thing. Vineyard were the church's most um, setting the, the level of, of songs in the church in the UK. There were all those kind of intimate relational songs Songs like, isn't he beautiful, beautiful, 
<laughs> and all that kind of a thing. Can we go to that vineyard person? Um, and that's what we are as a church. With the, with the Bible as our foundation and the ground that we're looking to take being the rule and reign of the king as we as a church go forward, the two ways we understand that happens, what we, how we walk it out is in worship and with compassion. They are the two things that we want to give us momentum. The activities that we do that point us to, to, the, to what we call the least, the last and the lost, the people uh, in our city who most need it, and then the leg that keeps us connected with our Heavenly Father. That's how we walk it out. As then a, a, our understanding of community as church, of the family of God, as hospital community, school and army, that then goes and plants church, develops churches, and aims at discipleship, all with Jesus at the head and the crown. I love that as a simple way of saying that's our church. That's who we are. But a key element of walking it out for us to wrestle with and struggle with because is, is what do we mean by worship and why do we do it? So the first reason is it's part of who we are. Why do we do it? It's part of who we are. It's our heritage. It's our legacy. It's what we're called to and to work out what it means for us. Um, but the second is... Psalm 24, it's our posture. Um, Psalm 24 says this, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Gates in worship were the entry point. Um, one of the ways in the resources that will be online this week, one of the studies will be looking at the temple as a, as a process, as a journey of worship, and going through the gates of thanksgiving into the courts of praise. The entry point into worship is the gates of, of, of thanksgiving into the courts of praise. And what do the gates do? Why is it that we're supposed to lift up our heads, O ye gates? What does worship do? Is it changes our posture. It changes our view. Why do we worship? Is we start to focus on God who is great rather than our situation. Some of the cynics of the worship stuff are saying, is God insecure that he needs us to worship him? No, the point is we are focusing on his glory, his goodness, his ability. And as we do that, it changes our heart and it changes our posture. Do you see? We no longer focus on the problem, we focus on the solution. Worship is focusing on the solution and where all the life and energy and power and might of that is. And when we lift up our heads, we allow the King of glory to come in. It fascinates me that in Revelation, that picture of the glory of God fully come, that the gates are made from pearls. You know, pearls are made in the place of attrition. The place of the gate can be a place of hardship and attrition, but for us to worship is to focus on a God who is greater than our circumstance. To focus on the answer. Does that make sense? That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Isaiah 42 has this amazing scripture just to unpack this a bit. Have you ever thought that while you're worshipping, actually God is doing the business? When, you, when we praise him and when we exalt him and put him in his right spot, it then says, um, if you go to, uh, this, this is what the Lord is declaring he can do amongst us. And then if we respond to that with a new song, keep going and keep singing, if we respond to what he's saying to us by lifting our heads and saying, God, this is who you are, this is what you're doing, and keep going and we proclaim it, we proclaim it uh, over our communities and our people, shouting it from the mountaintop, shouting it in our community, shouting it next verse to the islands and the seas, giving glory to the Lord. What does it say that he does as we do that is that he marches out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He shows his zeal. The Lord goes and battles on our behalf for the situations that we're carrying when we worship him. Isn't that amazing? 
when we worship, when we focus on his goodness, he goes and battles the problems of our lives. So I'm sure you've come here with hassles and issues going down in your world, as there are in each of our worlds. But when we worship, we change our posture, we change our alignment, and we focus and call out all of his attributes, which are the answers to the problems that he then battles. What a great reason to worship. Then finally, why do we worship? Is I think there is something about connecting with the presence of God. And there's something extraordinary about doing that when we meet here. Um, in the first service, we're going to do this at the end of this time. In the first service, we just had some time just to wait on the Lord. And it was precious. And you could see people really meeting with God. But actually, God says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That when we come together and are agreed in his name, his presence is there with us. So there's something about when we worship, we connect with him and we experience his presence and his glory. The literal word for glory is weight. You know, you sense it sometimes. You know when your, your hairs go up on your, on, your, on, your, on, your, on your arms or wherever? It's like, whoa, this is amazing. I love that especially when I'm in environments that aren't obviously worship, but you know that God's presence is there. I love, I've, I've got to see you, you two every five years of my, uh, of my adult life. And every time they've finished singing Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turns and hard my cry. He lifted me up out of the muddy pit, out of the mud and the mire. I will sing a new song, a hymn of praise to our God. And as they sing that, as they sing that, it's like, whoa. You know that tingly feeling? Coldplay does that for me. Lots of, uh, uh, unusually, um, lo lots, of, uh, lots of people, that sense of, I sense God's presence in this. I sense God's presence. And even that, then that Psalm 40 actually says that many will see and fear when others worship the Lord. And I love that you too are committed to worshiping in a wider environment that others would experience his presence. There's something about encountering his presence. And we do that corporately, but also there's a space for that in other times, isn't there? I love climbing a mountain. I love, I love going up. To, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I love Dave and Arlene saying, that's, where, for, that's what we do for fun. Although it sounds like you're not lifting your eyes up to the mountains, Arlene, but to Dave's bottom. <laughs> As you were saying, I follow him up the mountain. Wow. Glorious. <laughs> anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> Um, do you get what I'm saying? That this is the why. Why do we do it? It changes our posture. We see, his, we see his presence. We encounter him in that place. And he does the battling for us. How good is that? So let's go on to the, um, to the, to the what. Um, so what do, does it actually mean? What, what do we do? Well, um, Scripture seems to have quite a few pointers it says the word worship and praise uh, in quite a few places. And here's some of them. Um, I love each of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament. When I first studied this, I loved that there was Shabbat in there. That I could say, Shabbat, Mr. Boombastic is the Lord. Uh, is, uh, you can actually do that in worship. Um, to compend, praise, adore is one of the words for worship, but it's also, what is it to be? It's to be still, to quiet, and to receive peace, to receive pre uh, praise afresh, uh, peace afresh. Tehillah is a, is a much more active word. It, it includes the sense of spinning, where um, Sufi dancers, um, you know those guys who spin uh, in, uh, in Middle Eastern cultures, um, that comes from this, the idea of tahil. 
Tequila. Da 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 da. Then you Tequila, and then you celebrate and and actually spin in God's presence to acknowledge how good He is. Um, Barak is the word that is used the most, and most points to the New Testament words that there is an intimacy and an also acknowledgement of how good God is, that we kneel down, that our posture is actually one of submission to a greater king. Again, that idea that worship is also surrendering to a greater power into our situation. Um, Shaka, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. But anyway, Shaka Khan, let me rocky, let me rocky Shaka Khan. That, that's how I remember these, if you realize that. Uh, but actually, physically, to, um, why do we encourage, uh, you know, um, teacher, Tomahawk Point, uh, village people, Rocky? Why do we encourage all of those things? Because there's something about expressing to God our worship in physical posture, it's there. Why do I love seeing when people get down on their knees or their faces? It's actually, I'm, 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 it's a physical outworking of an inner reality of who God is to me. And then finally, I love this one. The idea that worship isn't just singing, it's worship with our work. Worship with how we spend our time. That work is a pre-fall concept. Work is something to actually honor God and bring glory to him. That work is something that, that we, we can't say, oh, well, there's no work in heaven, because I think there is. It's actually something to redeem, to turn into worship, to actually do something. I'm doing this for the king. I loved hearing what uh, people are doing for their jobs. So many people are actually saying, I want to do a job that honors the king. And actually, whatever job we do, whatever role we have, uh, as a student, as a stay-at-home mum, whatever it is, how our time is spent in our work, in our labour, actually is to serve the king, to position him rightly. I have a friend who actually called his company Avad, who made furniture with no screws or nails. It was just the quality of the joints, just to, um, to be able to say, I want my work to be worship. And that's his old website. Um, Keep going. In the New Testament, uh, the, 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 there are three main words, and this is the one most often used, uh, proscunio. There's a sense of intimacy within that word, the most regularly used word that now that Jesus has come, the curtain has been ripped in two, and there is an expectation that when we worship, we are in an intimate place, and that sense of his glory and presence is available to us. So why do we worship to bring that glory and presence to us? The other two um, are there, just so that you know that they're there. Other words of, of, of worship, to reverence, to hold in awe, to, to do, I don't like the word religious service, but that's because it's taken straight out of this theologian stuff. I don't like a dog licking his master's hand either, but, um, but I know what he's trying to get at is that it's that sense of closeness, intimacy, and connection, which all these habits have to be the primary goal of. So all of those give us a sense of the heartedness of this, of what it is, they don't go specifically into hows. And the reason is, I think, is that God has given us creativity to work it out for us and for our generation. Um, Tennyson actually said, um, each new generation must work, out, uh, uh, must work out its traditions for itself, lest one good tradition should corrupt the world. We need to keep reinventing and working out what it means for us. And I'll get on to why that is in a second. Let's look at a couple of scriptures maybe to unpack that. Well, how can we do this? Well, how can we do this? Firstly, I want to suggest is, in, um, is, is, is musically. Um, music is uh, Martin Luther. Have you got the Martin Luther quote there, Dave? Next to theology, I give music the highest place and honor. Music is the art of the prophets, the only art that can calm the agitation of the soul, is one of the most magnificent and delightful gifts God has given us. 
that the greatest theologian of his age said there's something about music that is the fullness of creativity. So there is something about worship that is musical, but it's not only musical. The, the worship that is musical, I think, is alluded to in Ephesians uh, 5, 19, where uh, Paul is uh, writing to this church in Greece, and he's saying, sing to each other, um, uh, and be filled with the Spirit. Don't just get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but actually, drunkenness is a counterfeit of a truth. Um, drunkenness is a, is a counterfeit of, of what is real and true as a connection with God. That he wants us to encounter him, to have that experience of comfort and ecstasy that is godly. You only get counterfeits of things that are true. You don't get a counterfeit three-pound note. You only get a counterfeit of a five-pound note, or a really weird plastic one now. But you get something that you only get counterfeits of truth, something that's true. And it says instead, be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're encountering God in that way, speak to none another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Those guys in that church who said you're only seeing in prison forgot the heritage that there is in, in the church of the Psalms. They forgot this verse, that there's a place to sing to each other of Scripture. Speaking to one another with Psalms is, is worship using Scripture. Then it says speaking to each other, worship using hymns. Hymns are songs we've written ourselves to emphasize our theology. Hymns are what we've worked out ourselves, that we write ourselves to explain what God is doing amongst us. You know, I said to you, Vineyard um, have a history of worship that is singing about what God is doing with them. Um, you look at it through history. Uh, the, just down the road is, is, the, is the heart of Methodism, that people come all around the world to see Charles and John Wesley, who wrote hymns to explain what God had done. And in those hymns, they would start with creation, mention the fall, mention the cross, and finish in heaven in every single hymn. That's why they have lots of verses. But they'd actually get all the teaching into one song. I love that Bill Johnson said to the, the worship leaders at um, Bethel Church, um, he says to the worship leaders, where do you want our church to be in 10 years? Start writing about it and we'll sing our way into it. I love that. And we'll sing it because we remember what we sing. The theology of what we sing is really important because it's normally the stuff that we remember. I love that there are the Helsers have started this three days of 24-hour uh, worship over the bank holiday at David's tent this summer, where 5,000 people worshipped if they wanted to, five, you know, 24 hours a day. But he said that the thing that, that's, that started them as a discipleship school is when they did the Father Week, just somebody had a spontaneous song, and that song was, You're a Good, Good Father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And they just kept singing, you're a good, good father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. For hour upon hour. Because that was the truth in a broken generation when most of them had not seen functional family that they needed to, to, to lift their eyes from where they were and proclaim was God's goodness over their situation more than what they'd experienced. And because they, they sung it out hour after hour, they said, we realized we needed to turn it into a song and write about what, that, what we were really about. And that song is then, you know the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Which is one of my faves. So that's some of the how. That's the how when we sing. That's some of the hows when we sing, that there's a freedom to connect with the Lord in what we've written, in what we, we know of Scripture, but to also be spontaneous. That's why we make space for that when we gather. That's why we can make space for that when we gather in small groups. But there's something wider and creative that I think is most expressed in when Jesus talks to the woman at the well um, in John 4. 
And he knows that uh, uh, she is a, a woman who's been um, isolated from society because of the time of day that she's drinking water. And they have this intense conversation where he has a, 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 a word for her about her life situation. And then she realizes that he's a Hebrew and she, she comes back with a theological comment about his people and who they are. And it's about worship. And then he explains worship to her. And he says to her, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's something wider than just singing. If it's just about singing, that's great. But our worship, the Bible doesn't tell us loads of hows, but it does point to what it is and then I think gives us a freedom and a creativity for us to plug in. And this is what I think the plug looks like, is that the plug is, it's got to involve you connecting with the Father, and it's got to involve it being in spirit and in truth. The word for spirit is, um, is, is pneuma, is breath. Is your connect, but it's, it, what it means is, that in Romans 10, it says, when your spirit meets with God's spirit, you cry, Abba, Father. It's about your identity, so when you worship, you should be worshipping in your identity. And the word for truth is reality. What is true is real. Coke is not the real thing. Worship, Jesus, and your relationship with him is. So what is your identity and your reality? What is your, that's why I feel such a freedom to worship in a contemporary way. I love that Larry Norman sang, um, I ain't knocking the hymns, I just like a song that's got a beat. I ain't knocking the hymns, I just like to move my feet. I don't like that organ music. I ain't dead yet. Um, I relate to that. I relate to contemporary music. I, I, I love, um, we started, uh, when we used to live in Sheffield, we started a nightclub service where worship was led by a DJ and everybody was on the dance floor. And then every now and then, and we did some crazy things like we would dance on injustice. We'd have justice written on, the, um, on a piece of paper on the floor and everybody would get their feet and put them in paint. And we would dance on injustice, uh, having written injustice on the floor and all the screens had images of injustice and you know what's going on in Syria and stuff like that. And we would start to pray into it for all night. People would come in thinking we were a nightclub and meet with Jesus because we were worshiping in our identity and in our reality. Does that make sense? You're also allowed to worship in your identity and your reality with songs of the desert. I love that we need more songs of the desert. The Psalms are full of songs of where it's hard. You know, this is hard, this is hard, yet I will praise him. You know, uh, you know all, Psalm 40, all he says is what God has done. And then he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You mar my help and my deliverer. Oh God, do not delay. We need, we need to have ways that we can say sorry. We need to have ways that we can really do forgiveness. The best song of sorry, forgiveness song that I know is sung by a band called Hot House Flowers, who I don't know if they're Christians or not, but I know that I encounter Jesus when I, when I worship him through, through that song because it's in my identity and my reality. Does that make sense? So for you, what is your, what is it for you? I remember saying to a bunch of guys who were into Ned's Atomic Dustbin. They were this community in London, who all this one particular band that was quite thrashy. And it was, guys, if you don't worship in that style, you aren't worshipping in your identity and your reality. You're not worshipping in spirit and in truth. Artists, if you're not painting unto the Lord and being creative, you aren't worshipping in spirit and in truth. People who love creation, if you're not getting up the top of a hill and going, come on, I lift my eyes up to the mountain, where does my help come from? You're worshipping in your, your identity and your reality. You see, it should be so creative. And some of our prayer is that small groups, some of the resources we're going to put on the website is all this kind of thing, that you go and be creative how you like. 
We used to have a small group um, that had a number of worship leaders in it. So we had a deal that there would be no singing in our, worship, in our small group ever. It was fantastic. It made us be creative. We'd write psalms to God. We'd write things and then we'd set light to them. We'd, um, one person wrote a book and the smoke filled the room so far. Everybody had to get on the floor to the bottom two feet. We'd, um, we'd write down our sins on a piece of acetate and we'd, uh, and we'd um, put the acetate in washing up bowls and it would disappear. And we go, whoa, I meet with the Lord and all that kind of thing. Do you get what I mean? There's so many things that you can do. We'd look at the names of God and say, you're like honey on my lips are your names. So I'm going to speak your names whilst getting a breadstick and smearing honey all over my face. And it was fantastic. And I tell you, the limit of these things is only the limit of the creativity in this room. We used to do 24-7 prayer has so much to tell us, show us about how people can worship and praise in more creative ways. So what does that look like for you in your identity and your reality? Are you singing songs of praise? Are you singing songs of the desert? Either way, what you need to do is point it to God. Yeah? Are you, are you, are you able to like twist around in joy and celebration? Or actually, you're in a place of mourning and you need comfort. Yeah? I get to do quite a lot, lot in Germany. And um, I've forgotten the word for it, but it's something like, um, oh, it's a really cozy word. But they actually, in every one of their, their communities, they have this area of duvets and beanbags. And people are just supposed to go and get cozy with the Lord. It's like behegnung or something like that. That's not it, but it's, it's this word that is get cozy with the Lord. Because actually, they need a space to get cozy. So what does it mean for you to be creative? Because all I know, final verse, before we just take this back to the Lord for a few moments, is that if we do this, we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, his presence, and connect with him, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's why we do it. That's why we do it, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I hope you feel there's a bit of a release of creativity. And if it's not a release of creativity, it's just an affirmation of it and a theology for it. A theology for you artists and filmmakers to say your worship is so much more than singing songs. For those of you who get out into creation, that your worship is so much more. But actually, singing songs is a great part of it. So we're going to finish just by um, having a moment to worship. Does that sound all right? Just having a moment to go, Lord, what are you saying by your spirit? What are you saying by your spirit to each of us? Um, Becky, I can't see you. You're here. Dylan's still here as well. Um, Could I encourage you, just because you've been sitting down too long, to stand? If you'd like to, you don't have to. It's all about physical posture, as you you now know. Shaka, shaka Khan, shaka. And uh, it's your choice whether you sit, kneel, Have your face on the floor as long as it's to the Lord. And all I'm going to ask these guys to do is just to play over us and ask Holy Spirit just to release what you're doing amongst us. Lord, the things that we've spoken as words, may they become flesh, may they become real in each of our lives here. And I want to thank you for the range of creativity that there is in this room. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are the ultimate creative, the ultimate creative God. And we want to see new things of worship in our midst. And that only bubbles up from your spirit, as your word says. So just be open to the spirit now and uh, see how he's anointing you. For some of you, he's just anointing that creative gift, saying that it is the first gift 
It's the first spiritual gift mentioned in, in Scripture, the, the gift of creativity. And uh, those of you who want more of it, you may want to move faster it and just say, Lord, you know, I, I reach out my hands for more. I put you on your place and say, Lord, I acknowledge what I thought was my identity is actually what you've made me for to worship. And some of you, it just may be more sensitivity in worship, sensitivity in song, sensitivity to scripture, to, to even to write songs, and for the, the fresh song that is in your heart, that whatever is the situation in your life that you've brought here, you can sing a song that focuses on the Lord rather than your situation, that gives Him worth above your situation. And that's what I think we're just supposed to do now. It's just to give a, it's for you to sing out the song of your heart into your situation, over your family. Some of you, it might be just to hear the song that the Lord is singing over you. You know, Zephaniah 3 says, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. Some of you, it just might be hearing what the Lord is saying. So come, Holy Spirit, and let it bubble up the thing that's in you. Guys, for you too, if there's any song or word that you get, and just start to sing out what the Lord is saying over you. you, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people, that when we gather to worship you, there's something powerful about it. And Lord, we lift you each of our lives now, Lord, that you would send us out in the power of your spirit to live into a connected worship walk with you to a level like we haven't seen, that we would stay connected to you, Father. But our identity and our true truths of our lives would come out as worship to you in all kinds of creative ways. So Lord, help us worship as we have worshipped in this space. Help us worship as a lifestyle as we go from here. And Lord, we do lift to you every situation that we've brought into this room. And we lift our eyes to the King, that the King of glory would come in. And Lord, we want to declare and believe that every situation that we have brought here, as we have worshipped you, you have battled, you have made a difference as we've set you upon the throne, that you have marched out like a mighty man, like a champion, you show your zeal. And we ask you to do that, that we would go back into our lives knowing the things that you've done and praising you for what you're doing. So send us out, we pray, in the power of your spirit to live and to work to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mal's second talk on worship turns from why we worship to how we worship. Stick around for lots of ideas which go way, way beyond singing in church. So we looked last time really at our why and our what. And today I'm wanting to, to get more into how do you worship? How do you worship? Not just when we gather, but what are some tools and some thoughts and some processes of things that actually that's what it means to worship. So quick recap, why and what, the main why, definition of worship is literally, the complicated one is, it's worship, giving something worth. And when uh, we looked at Psalm 24 and the idea that where you focus on God uh, more than your situation, worship is that it's easier to deal with all that is hard because God marches out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he shows his zeal. It says in Isaiah, when we focus on him. But when we focus on all that's difficult and a problem, that's when we sink. So worship is giving him more worth than our situations so that we can cope with those. 
Bill Johnson, um, who's a hero of mine, was ch- challenged, he's saying, most bad theology is trying to explain what Jesus isn't doing. Good theology is explaining what he is doing. And when we focus on what he is doing and we see where that life is, that life is normally the answer to what's difficult. Yeah? So that's the why. That's the why, to focus on, on his worth and his goodness that we would connect with him and experience his presence. Psalm 3.3, 3, uh, God says, I, uh, You, O Lord, are a shield to me, my glory and the lifter of my head, which is in response to what he says to Abraham, where he says, I am your shield, your very great reward. And my understanding of worship is when, we're, when we know what it is to be under his covering, we're acknowledging that covering. And Psalm 3.3, you, O Lord, are a shield to me. And under that shield is your glory, your presence, and you lift my head. You, O Lord, are a shield to me, my glory and the lifter of my head. In worship, we experience not only just giving him worth, but we experience connection. We experience his presence and he lifts our head. Is that worth doing? Come on. So the what's of that, we kind of landed in John 4, where Jesus is with the woman at the well, and he says, a time is coming and has now come where the true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. And we looked at the idea of that spirit and truth, those words meaning our identity and our reality. That when we, when we really worship, we worship in our identity and our reality. So our cultural identity, our position in the world, it's, it's who we are. And if we try and put on ill-fitting things, uh, uh, the, the big call from there was, how do we get more creative to really acknowledge God and connect with him and give him worth, true to who you are in your creativity and also your reality? including not only reality where life is good, but where life is hard. Um, some friends, uh, uh, of the guys who started the Soul Survivor conferences, um, amazing youth conferences. And we should pray for our youth, by the way, because there's not only cause to live for going on, but our youth are away this weekend as well, causing havoc off somewhere. And uh, they'll be back tonight. Um, woohoo! But we need to pray for them and their leaders right now. If you just switching out of this. But um, Soul Survivor, they, uh, they um, uh, gave their, their songbook, their hymnal, to some theologians linked to Cambridge University. And they said, we know that um, you most remember what you sing yeah, as your theology. So if we most remember what you sing, um, we need to check we're singing the right things. Um, can you help us? And uh, are we missing anything? Is this all right? And the feedback was, it's all great. You mainly sing about the experience of connecting with the Lord. You sing about the worshiper. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I fall down on my knees, I worship you, I bow down. But, and you talk about your interaction, you know, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, I'm a child, who I am, yeah? But their one piece of feedback is, the one thing you lack is songs of the desert. Their, their comment was, if we're going to worship in identity and reality, the reality for a lot of people today is um, there's, there's not enough songs of the desert. And you need to have more songs of the desert. Songs of, um, you know, songs of some of those hard bits of the Bible where they're struggling with. There's a whole book called Lamentations. L- lamenting, you know, it has, literally says, you wiped me in the dust. You knocked my teeth out. Yet this I call to mind and I will still praise you. Your, your goodness to me, your grace is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even where I feel awful and horrible and like a piece of poo, you are still with me. You are still with me and your grace to me is new every morning. Every morning. Yeah? Songs of the Desert. Um, my very favoritest song of the desert I thought of over these last few, few days in a worshipping experience because a band that I love, who I haven't seen for years, uh, were featured in a TV show that, um, 
that was an unexpected surprise for me. Has anybody seen the new Jeremy Clarkson on Amazon uh, show? Has anybody seen it? I, I would really recommend, if, if, you don't, if you don't have Amazon, just YouTube the first five minutes, because all it is is the intro. All it is is the intro. And I won't, no spoilers, well, not really, but just to give you a vibe of what happens, Jeremy Clarkson leaves the BBC in the rain. It's raining. He hands in his card to the security guy. It's full of rain. He takes a taxi to the airport. He gets it onto a plane, and he flies to America. As he gets there, the song comes on. I can see clearly now the rain has gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. And I thought, I think that's my favorite version of it, which is because it's a live version by a band who I love called Hot House Flowers. And Hot House Flowers are just the most amazing band. And it was them. And then. Jeremy gets, his, uh, gets, gets out of the airport and he's given this fantastic top-of-the-range Ford Mustang and he starts to put his foot down and he drives out into the countryside and slowly, in his blue Ford Mustang, a red Ford Mustang and a white Ford Mustang come alongside and it's little Richard and James on either side and then they cruise into the desert and it becomes like Mad Max and you realise that the production values on this thing are huge huge and there's like massive numbers of cars and all three of them are just driving through it like Mad Max and then they get to a festival at the end and the festival at the end is the Burning Van Festival get it? Uh, so they got the Burning Van Festival and there's all these people, it's wild and there's crowds and then there's Hot House Flowers, my old favourite band, on the stage playing that song. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day and um, it's like, whoa! It's, it's amazing. You've got to see it. It's a kingdom come moment. But uh, what made me, <laughs> it really is, but what made me, it's just so, oh, I was worshipping, but, but then what actually made me think, what made me go back and revisit some of my other um, uh, Hot House Flower songs is they wrote the best song I think I've ever heard as a song of the desert, which is called I'm Sorry. And it starts, there comes a time in every man's life where he's got to look over his misdemeanors, misgivings, and miss whatever a name was and say I'm sorry. And then it goes into this fantastic riff of just singing for five minutes where they want to get their life right. And I'm thinking, we don't sing this enough in church. This is amazing. Anyway, so thinking, wanting you to, I'm only telling you that story to actually think about where do you really worship? Where do you actually go, um, God, I see you in that. Because when we're in this Advent season, as we're just starting to prepare for Advent and the glories of Advent, which, you know, we're in this wonderful last week before Advent starts. Because for the last couple of months in our house, we have this phrase, which is, you're ruining Christmas. And you're ruining Christmas is, is if anybody sing, plays a song that is a Christmas song. We love the Michael Bublé, and we're wanting to pray for him at the moment where he's going through a lot. But, um, but man alive, we can't have Christmas songs until Advent. So, uh, so Thanksgiving this Thursday... And then we get to go into the Christmas season. So I'm actually breaking the Christmas rule by sharing with you a Christmas verse pre-Advent. But I think it's the one that starts as definers for Advent, which is this scripture here, Matthew 2.2. This is the wise men who've been... Uh, born, uh, who, who have been... Uh, who saw a sign of God in the stars... Their understanding was that when three constellations developed in a particular way, all the promises were that meant that there was a Messiah, a rescuer of the world who was due to come. And they would have traveled for months and months and months. They completely ruined Christmas. They started following way, way before, months and months before. And then they come to Herod and they say, where is the one? We're looking for Jesus. Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. As you get ready for Advent, I think this is what it's about. Thinking about where, have you see, where do you see signs of Jesus? 
These were academic theologians who studied the stars. They studied the stars to point to what God might be saying to humanity. But they, their response where they saw Jesus in what they did was to then come to worship him. So where do you worship? I'd like you to turn to the person next to you in a moment and just say a little bit of where do you most worship? Do you worship most, do you think, amongst other people in church where there's music? But where else do you worship? Do you worship more on your own? Do you worship when you climb a mountain? Do you worship around food and creativity? Where do you feel like you worship? Where do you feel like you see that Jesus is involved in that? What is it in culture that you do that you think, that is easy worship for me? I can recognize Jesus in that, and it makes me worship him. I see Jesus in that. Talk to each other for a moment. Where do you recognize Jesus? Where do you see Jesus and where do you worship? What makes you worship him in that? Okay, as we don't have time for a Kahoot survey today, which I was really would have liked to have done. Uh, a bit of a show of hands. How many said, um, actually, it's on my own I most worship? Really interesting. How many of that included like getting into creation? and like climbing a mountain or getting out there, seeing the stars, seeing Jesus in it. Yeah, how many was with other people around a dining table? Yeah, come on, <laughs> good. I really believe in that one, we'll come on to that one later. Um, how, many, how many was music and different forms of music? And art, good. How many was creativity in different forms? Brilliant. Brilliant. Good. Because what I, I just want to spend a few minutes giving you a few different understandings uh, of processes and tools, I hope. One is understanding um, how we approach these things as worship depends on how we understand culture. How we think depends on these things, approach these things as worship depends on how we understand the different places we gather. And how we understand worship depends on our understanding of the process the journey of worship. So understanding culture, places, and journey of worship is how I just want to spend a few minutes getting practical in the how. Um, the, if you're kind of thinking, gosh, do you really think that about culture? For me, the num I've had read a very helpful book and, uh, and concept for me in understanding how do I feel about worship within culture was um, written by a guy called Niebuhr, Richard Niebuhr, nearly 50, just over 50 years ago. And it's called Christ and Culture. And where he's fascinating in this book is that he takes the sweep of church history and he says church has had different message, uh, messages spoken to it about how it should approach ch uh, culture. Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, um, Calvin were all very different in what they said about culture. And actually each one of those were different ones of these. And he said in, in the extreme at one end is the approach of saying Jesus is our culture. He's in, he's in our culture. It's almost heavenly. And we can bless all the things that we're seeing going on. And at the other extreme is being able to, is saying, Gee, I'm against culture. All the things that I see in culture are just bad. I hate Facebook. Facebook is just bad thing. This can't be used for good. All it is is people slagging each other off. That can't be a godly thing. Yeah? shaming each other in public or whatever. I'm not saying that as an opinion. Uh, I might be. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that as an opinion. What I'm trying to say is there's those two extremes of this is awesome and can be, you know, I can share videos of all the good things that God is doing. This is really usable for the kingdom. And it's not. This is not godly. In between, there are varying degrees of this, which are the three in the middle. The, the tension of Jesus is in culture, but not all of it. That he's above culture is one theological view. But the one I want to really, that motivates me, is the last one. That Jesus is looking to transform culture. 
And, and your job and my job, and I think what the, the, the wise men were doing in that story is that they saw Jesus in something and then drew attention to it. They saw Jesus and drew attention to it. That's been my week. This uh, I have loved uh, children in need this week as a... Um, uh, listening to Chris Evans in the morning doing the auctions where they're talking about the, the guy who actually runs it from a practical point, point of view went, this is like an, an economy of generosity. He, he raised each day between Monday and Thursday of this week, he raised over a million pounds each day, which made me feel useless. I went and said to Chris, it's half past nine. I've achieved nothing. He's raised two million quid this morning. I've done nothing, but man alive, it pointed to generosity. It pointed to having a heart for the poor and the concerned. It pointed to people caring for the lost. It was a thing about Jesus. And what I loved even more was that they then have a pause for thought where actually people are helping people realise this is pointing people to Jesus. It's actually, this is good. This is God at work. And I believe that your job and my job is to actually see where we, where we sniff Jesus in things and point one another to it. So what's your attitude to culture? The first of the three is just to think, have I been anti-culture? Have I just negated everything? Or do I, have, I, have I seen where God is at work and I'm able to point to it and redeem it? and point others to, you know, this is Jesus at work in our culture. And we can worship him. We can give him honor and worth and see his presence come when we do that. Secondly, places uh, that we worship. I want to suggest to you, it's not just here. Communally, yes, it's when we get out into creation. Praise God. And I asked the two guys doing the paintings this morning what they represented. One of them was just uh, about how the mountains are so high as places of... Uh, it just fascinated me that they didn't know what was going to be talked about. But this is about the mountain. What was the phrase you had, Flick? Can you remember it? How high the mountains that they praise you. High the mountains that they praise you. I lift, I lift my eyes to the one who is higher than I. That, the, that, that there's, when we go out into creation, it's glorious. But on this side, Claire was saying to me that this was about, um, supposed to represent an advent calendar. And that the advent calendar wasn't just about the one day at the end of um, at the end of the advent calendar, where you get to open the last box of 25. But the Lord was saying something out of that verse in Revelation 3, it's, see, I stand at the door and knock. That there's something of God's goodness and his presence that he wants us to experience every day. Every day of the 24 days of preparation. And so she's drawn something each of each of those days of the interactions and the things that make us focus on him. I love it. It's like you'd heard of the talk already. <laughs> because I, I want to suggest to you there are five environments that we, that we gather where we worship, where, where we can worship, which are true to our culture. Um, this is gathered, the first one that isn't on this list because it's home, is where we gather in community and do the things on that painting, where we gather around a meal, where we gr gather... Um, I have a friend uh, called Wolfgang Simpson, who's a German church leader, and uh, he's written a book called Houses That Change the World. And the way that he understands church is that it mainly happens in a home. And I was with him in Prague, and we were with some underground church leaders just as the, uh, um, the, the revolution was happening in uh, the Czech Republic, um, or Czechoslovakia as it was then. And uh, we were sat in this place with loads of borscht and the, the stew and beer. And we were all in this big kind of gathering and it was brilliant and vibrant. And, and we were just really talking deep. And with this massive tankard of beer, he went, this is church. <laughs> He had a fantastic meal in front of him, the beer, the company. But he was pointing it to Jesus. This is worship. This is worship. When we gather in our homes, it can be worship. It was the number one way that Jesus 
did it. It was the number one way that Jesus, using the festivals of his culture, would have welcomed people in and over food and drink acknowledged the spiritual story he was part of. When he did it in Passover with Purim, there's even a book you can read called Meals That Jesus Ate. Which is all the festivals where Jesus did worship around food and drink. There's something about it. But where else do, do we gather that are worship points? There's the concert, the style that we do when we gather on a Sunday where we all focus in the same direction to a stage. But actually there's something about concerts that also aren't Christian, I think. You know, when we start to get that moment where people put their lighters in the air or, or whatever, that moment where they sense something that is bigger than them. There's something spiritual about concerts where, um, uh, where we're, we're, we're pointing people, I think, often to the unknown God where there's, we gather and we're experiencing something beyond ourselves. The club... On the dance floor where there's that repeated phrase and actually we commune with God. We, we commune spiritually, I think many people do, uh, beyond uh, just dancing. They're communing. Why has Ibiza become known as such a spiritual place over the last 20 years? It's been understood to be spiritual. Why is you know, people stay awake all night clubbing to then see the, see the dawn come up and, and understand their spirituality through that? I see things like Teze, um, a, a Catholic monastic thing where you sing repeated words, one after the another, uh, 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 just a, a one phrase, and that one phrase allows you to then commune with God more deeply. Sometimes we do that in worship. You know, we'll just sing one phrase, but what we're really doing is over that one phrase, we're communicating more deeply. Cafe, I want to suggest to you, is, is a way of doing worship. The worst cafe churches is where they try and do concert in a cafe setting. I've been to something that called itself a cafe church and they handed out words and everybody stood up and stood up in their chairs and sang. It was so cheesy and wrong because it wasn't true to the culture they were in. If it was a concert thing, it would have worked. But because in a, in a cafe, you interact with each other. As soon as it got to the teaching, which was very question and answer and interactive, the cafe worked brilliantly because cafes are made for interaction with each other to talk about what Jesus is doing. And if you've got some music, it might be in the background. Somebody playing guitar a little bit. While creative spaces... It's not interacting with people, it's interacting with, with things that help us on our spiritual journey. The idea of prayer spaces, 24-7 prayer, have done a brilliant job at this. The idea of going into a space where you're interacting creatively with something that helps you understand God more deeply. In our church, uh, where, where we used to do church in a nightclub, once a term, we would do, uh, rather than having a preach, we would just have 30 different creative spaces around the space. And we'd say, we're not, um, there's no worship leader tonight, there's worship curators. And every small group would curate a few of these prayer stations. And there would be paddling pools to swim in and white clothes to put on and honey to smear on your lips. That was my favorite always. Um, and like all these different things that were helping us understand different things of God. And what I loved was when people came out of it, they came out with... with uh, you know, the, the number of different things that God had spoken to them was equivalent to the number of people. It wasn't one talk. They'd all worship God and experience a completely different word through what they'd experienced. Now, what my hope to it is, as we talk about worship as a lifestyle, is, guys, we need to do this more. We need to do this more. Worship isn't just the concert here on a Sunday morning. Worship is bringing Jesus into every area of the things that we're doing. And the final tool I want to share with you is worship as a journey. Um, this is the idea of, of worship not just being one process, but a journey that you go on up a mountain. And the idea of the mountain is that it has five different stages. And I find this very helpful as a stages that we actually check in with to go, are those stages true to my experience? And the first one is when you go through the courts of thanks, into the courts of praise, through the gates of thanksgiving, you tell God he's good. But actually, when you tell God he's good, you can still do that and stay distant from him. 
You can still stay superficial with God if you say, God, you're good. If you try in that stage to try and do I love you songs and you're not in a right place with God, you can't do it. I've noticed it. I've noticed people go quiet when intimate songs come on and they're not ready because they can say, God, you're good and believe it. What they can't say is, I adore you. I'm close to you. I'm intimate with you. And the reason they can't is they need to clear the way. And the second stage is that, clearing the way. Reflection, confession, getting the things right in our lives that we can then be able to deal with. All confess means is speaking the same thing as your heart. If there's things on your heart that you know aren't in the right place with God, confession is to say, not just to say sorry, it's to get them out into the light where Jesus gets hold of them. And then when you get something out from your heart, it no longer holds your heart, so your heart can go to a place of intimacy and adoration with your creator. And that takes us to the zenith of the mountain, that place of consummation. Um, Many Church traditions, including Anglican and Catholic, uh, put communion normally at this point of the worship because they see it as that most intimate point of remembering Jesus, where um, Rubens took us so beautifully this morning. And then finally, there's commissioning, being sent out, which is what we're going to do now. So what's your takeaway? What's your commissioning thing? that this is where I know Jesus is getting my attention to worship him more of a lifestyle, as a lifestyle. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, we lift to you each of our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would commission us to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We ask you to give us eyes to see where you, Jesus, are at work in our world. That it is like the advent calendar, that there's somewhere to meet with you every day through this season, to point to your goodness, to experience your presence and your connection. And Lord, we pray you would expand our boundaries of what that can mean. Expand our creativity, expand our understanding of how we as a, as a faith community can connect with our world. And Jesus, we acknowledge that you have already gone ahead of us into our world. So Lord, we want to acknowledge you in it, into each of our situations, in work, in play, in our homes. And Lord, we want to worship, learn to worship you more and better. So help us in it, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.